0: Right, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're beginning chapter nine, and so I'm going to go ahead and read the first 10 verses, and we'll get into this this morning. But now hear the words of the one true and living God. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Lord God, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for your special revelation to us. You have made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. All of creation testifies to your greatness, your glory. But God, there's something special, something specific about your word whereby the power of your spirit, it, it, it makes sense to us. It becomes plain and you allow us to know you. God, I pray that this morning as I preach that you would move me out of the way, that your word would be clear to your people. God, it's, it, it's a simple thing that I ask. It's not, it's not too hard for you. So God, I'm praying that you would do that. Do that for your people here this morning. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. We've talked about this some already in previous sermons, but what's being communicated here, do you think? I mean, not, not the passage necessarily, but what, the stuff that's being described. What's with all the, the places and the things and the layers of holiness and the preparations and the priests and the limitations? What, what was that communicating to them in the Old Testament? Access denied. Right? That's what it was communicating. God is off limits, unapproachable. You can't get near him. Why? Because he's holy and you're polluted with sin. You can't come into his presence. His presence is strictly guarded and there's only one that can come into his presence into that place and he can only do it once a year. So we see limitations upon limitations upon restrictions upon restrictions. The message is clear. Access denied. But what the author is trying to communicate is those restrictions have been lifted. In the new covenant, the the message has changed entirely. Access granted. That's the message. No more walls and curtains and rituals and boundaries. And why? Because Jesus is a better high priest, as we've said, who offered a better sacrifice and a better location. And since he has, those united to God through Christ in faith are able to approach God. So that's the general overarching message the author's conveying here in these verses. And he gets into some interesting stuff about the early tent that we're gonna wanna take a look at this morning. So we can connect with what these early Christians who were formerly Jews understood about God, understood about their their relationship to God, their access to God, about the old covenant and how God was worshipped. And then what the author mentions in verse 8 about the way into the holy places not yet being opened, right? He says, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Get into that. That's interesting, right? We'll see what that means. And then we'll dive into what it looks like for us as new covenant. Worshippers, worshipers in the New Covenant to have clean consciences because of Christ's sacrifice for us. That's a big one, verses 9 and 10. So first, what is worship? So we look back at the the worship in the earthly tent. What is worship? What did it consist of then? What's it consist of now? What's changed? Again, what they knew and understood and felt and believed and Saul demonstrated for them repeatedly and were reminded about constantly in the Old Testament is God is so unapproachable. Before we get too far into this, let me just ask you old dogs uh, my age and older, and be honest. Do you, you ever sneak into a movie or a concert when you were younger? <laughs> I knew I could count on you, brother. <laughs> that was a thing, right? That was a thing when I was growing up. Uh, it sh- I'm sure it's a thing now, but it's, it, it seems like today people uh, get more bent out of shape about that than, than they used to. They get bent out of shape about other things that just don't seem as important. They want to be uptight about different things. But the point is, we used to do dumb stuff like that. We used to sneak into movie theaters and concerts, and you're supposed to have a ticket. That's the idea. You're supposed to have a ticket to get in there. But if you could get past the velvet rope, if you could get past the guards when they weren't looking, right? If you could somehow get around the guy that's checking tickets, you were in. And the worst thing that could happen is you'd get kicked out. Maybe you'd be permanently banned, never allowed to come back there again, right? But when it comes to God and His worship, you go in where you're not supposed to, And he'll strike you dead. You come to see God on the wrong terms, on the wrong day, in the wrong clothes. If you're the wrong guy on the wrong day, bring the wrong stuff with you, dead. And it wasn't an empty threat. Aaron's sons tried that, Nadab and Abihu. You remember them? Remember hearing about them? They were next in line to be high priests, but they were goofing around, offered what God calls strange fire before him, and God struck them dead. Checked them out, pulled their card right then and there. Two of their cousins had to come carry them out of the camp in their coats. Couldn't touch them. That would have made them unclean. They knew God had said that, and they're seeing very clearly that God means business. What the, the message they're carrying out in their coats that no, they're not allowed to touch is follow instructions. So what's the message? God's a meanie? Is that what we get from that? God's unreasonable? God really needs to lighten up, needs to take a chill pill, right? And not, not take things so seriously. No, the message is God is Holy. God is holy, and you are not. You know, another instance of this, you know, I remember the first time as a new believer reading about when Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant It started to tip over and fall, and he reaches out and grabs it, and God, boom, strikes him dead. And you're like, don't you want to say, lighten up, God, like, what's the deal? He's just trying to help. He didn't want this important thing to fall on the ground. Well, his mistake was he thought his hands were cleaner than the dirt was. God is holy and man is not. You're so far from holy, you can't even possibly begin to understand. That's the message. So here's what God says. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you begin to understand. You're going to worship me my way. And then you're going to begin to understand my holiness and your sinfulness. And you don't get to decide what's acceptable or not. And you don't get to come to me whenever you want. God said that too. He told Moses to tell Aaron. He says, tell your brother. This was right after the Nadab and Abihu thing. He says, tell your brother Aaron, don't don't show up here unannounced or uninvited. Don't show up to the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark. Tell him that so that he may not die. You you getting a picture of this? It's really important that we do as as, as New Covenant believers. Here's here's why. We, We can't begin to understand how great Jesus is. We can't begin to comprehend what he's done for us and how great the New Covenant is in his blood until we understand how great our sin is and how unacceptable it is to a holy and righteous God. A small view of sin and a small view of God's holiness gives us a small view of the cross. When God wants us to have a big view of all three, right? A big view of sin, a big view of God's holiness, big cross. And he started by setting up a way of worshiping him in the Old Testament that would communicate to his people his holiness, our sinfulness, and have them longing for a savior that would solve their sin problem and bridge that giant chasm between God and man. So what we see here in these verses is there was an earthly place that was set up. There was an earthly priest that was appointed and an earthly sacrifice to communicate these things to his people. So not bad, you know, not evil, not wrong. These were things that were ordained by God. God asked them to build Him a dwelling place and to do these things exactly the way that He told them to do them. It paled in comparison to the real thing that it symbolized, the heavenly realities that that they symbolized, but it was very effective in getting the message across. The earthly tent the author refers to, there was a mobile worship center, okay? They brought this thing along with them everywhere they went, set it up. They eventually built a permanent dwelling place for God's people in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple, just like the tabernacle, there, there were these layers upon layers upon layers to get to God, restricted access. It's the whole thing, restricted access. You had the first section called the holy place like it says there in verse two, where you had the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence And that lampstand can't go out. You see that they were busy. What's it say there about the priests going in, doing their rituals all the time? That lampstand can't go out. They're bringing in oil and keeping that thing lit all the time. Baking 12 loaves of bread a week to keep on that table. Well, already we're seeing some significance to these copies and shadows of heavenly realities and the future unfolding of God's covenant of grace seeing what all these things point to, what they're shadows and copies of. Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? He's the bread of life. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he says, I am the bread of life. I am that manna from heaven that sustains you. God is laying hints early on in the Old Covenant worship system that look forward to Jesus. You know, that's, that's, when reading Hebrews, I've often heard it said, if you want to understand the Old Testament better, read the book of Hebrews. And this is what this is doing. This is pointing back and helping us understand what it was all for, what it all meant, what it all symbolized, what it all pointed to, right? You think about the, the 12 loaves One of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. You think this stuff is a coincidence? You know, you read in Revelation, don't you? The 24 elders, 12 and 12. Anybody that says reading the Bible is boring, ain't reading it. So anyway, that's, that's the holy place though. Level one, okay? Level one in the tent. Level two. Verse three, second second, uh, curtain, behind the second curtain. So we move from the holy place to the most holy place, to the holy of holies, okay? And, And what we're keeping in mind here, if you're them, you know there's all this cool stuff in there and you know you're not allowed near it. You've heard about it. You just never see it. You're separated from it. Only the high priest could ever go in there. And there's this golden altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant, and there's three things in the Ark. You See what they are there in verse 4? You've got that golden urn with the manna in it. You've got Aaron's staff that budded. You've got the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And, you know, if I thought this were mere speculation, y'all, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't share it with you here. But this sounds an awful lot like the three offices of Christ. Don't we know that Jesus is is prophet, priest, and king? Now, these things are in the ark because they're supposed to remind them of what God has done for them in the past already, how he's preserved them, reminders of his steadfast loving kindness toward them, his faithfulness to keep his promises. It's reminding them of all of those things. But if we're paying attention, everything else in the scene is also pointing to something else that he's going to do, something that Christ himself fulfills. You've got the manna, their sustenance in the wilderness. Jesus says he is the bread of life. He also says that man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is it that prophets do? They bring the word of God. They reveal the will of God to us for our salvation. You have Aaron's rod that that budded, that's in the ark. When God chose who would serve as high priest, he had all the contestants, right? One of every tribe put their staff into the tent of meeting and whosoever's dead stick sprouted was gonna be the one God chose to be high priest over his people. Jesus is our high priest that makes atonement for the sins of his people. You have the Ten Commandments in the ark. God rules over his people with authority and has expectations of them. Jesus is our king who possesses authority and all power. And the call to everyone everywhere is to repent and to believe in him, to trust in him, to obey him. It's part of our call in the Great Commission, isn't it? To go, therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Jesus is our King. So look, they're carrying around reminders of God's faithfulness to them and His power among them, His presence with them, and all of it reaches its culmination. in the person of Jesus Christ. It's pretty cool. And then there in verse five, we see the mercy seat, which is on the lid of the ark, the cherubim hovering over it and covering their faces. And this is a picture of God's real throne room, okay? God's real presence. And even there, he's so holy that the angels, his sinless angels that attend to him can't even look at him and take him all in. So think like them again for a second. How would you feel approaching that? How would you feel approaching the Ark of the Covenant? What would that be like? Might have me shaking in my boots. And that's only a symbol of the real thing. If you're scared of coming into the shadow of God's presence, what would it be like coming into His real presence? Coming to Him in the real throne room of heaven. What would that be like? Again, God's sinless angels are so overwhelmed by the glory of God. How would a sinner like one of us feel? And yet, because of Jesus and through Him, we have unrestricted access. If that doesn't make you just say, wow... That's the message the author wants to get across to these people, reminding them, hey, God is not closed off to us anymore the way that he had been. We talked a few weeks ago about how coming to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God where he says he would be would be very limiting. Be a little bit of a drag. It'd be a bummer. Right. Like going to a stadium to see a ball game, getting stopped in the parking lot, never even getting in there. You know, you can't go farther depending on the situation. You know, suppose uh, you you get there to the temple mount and you have to be ceremonially clean to go any farther. And suppose you get in there, you get through that barrier. Then you're trying to get into the outer temple court and you have to be clean enough to get in there. Then there's the Israelite court you got to get through and the court of the priests, not allowed in there, unless you are one. And then there's the holy place, definitely not getting in there. And there's the holy of holies. That's not for you. It's only for one guy. He's only allowed to do it one time a year. That was your experience of the worship of God. That's what it was like. And here's the thing. We're tempted as New Covenant believers to say, that's so awful. That's so archaic. That's so depressing. But don't you dare say that. (laughs) None of that was wrong. It wasn't a mistake. None of it was was inaccurate or unholy. It was all ordained and commanded by God, and God has not changed his mind. He has not changed, but our access to him has. God is every bit as holy, every bit as unapproachable as he ever was. But because Christ has died in the place of sinners, we have been made holy. That's what we're going to continue looking at next. That's what's changed. So Jesus changed all that, not because it was bad. It was very effective in communicating an important message, a message that's got to ring ring true in our ears. We've got to understand God is holy, we are not. But because Jesus came and offered himself as a better sacrifice, as a better high priest, that sacrifice for sinners like us has been accepted. And the doors to that throne room of heaven have been flung open wide to us. The temple curtain, remember, was torn in half. Why? Why was it torn in half? Because it was wrong and he was angry with it? No, because he came to remove the barriers between God and his people, to reconcile us to him completely, to make us who were sinners holy in his sight. That's the change. No holiness, no access. You see that? Remember, Adam was the first man. Everything was riding on him. God's relationship with all of mankind hung on his relationship with one man. And that relationship was severed. Dunsky, over. No coming back. That bridge was burnt. We were separated from God with no way to get back to him. And so God made a way for him to get back to us to bring us back to him. There's no more barrier of entry. We have Jesus now in union in him. So, this holy, unholy problem has been solved. In Christ, we are holy. I know you don't feel like it. I would encourage you not to go out there and tell everybody about how holy you are. But God says you are holy. If you weren't, you couldn't come to Him. Blameless and acceptable in His sight. Welcome in His presence. That's what we've got to be able to understand. Verse 6, we see all these preparations being made and this performing of ritual duties. And we're seeing, we're, we're do, they're doing this repeatedly, right? Constantly busy. And that's why it's significant, as we said a few weeks ago, that Jesus sat down. You remember that? That Jesus sat down. The nature of the Old Testament priesthood was your work was never done. They had to keep doing what they were doing, not because it worked, because it didn't. If it did, they wouldn't have to keep doing it. But they're spinning their wheels, trying to get out of the mud hole of sin. In verse 7, only the high priest could go into this most holy place and only once a year. This is the closest to the presence of God anyone could ever get And the only guy that could do it could only do it once a year. we said a minute ago, God told Moses, right, to tell Aaron, don't just waltz in here whenever you want to. He'll drop dead. That's why Jesus is a better high priest than even Aaron was. Do you see how that keeps coming up, right? He's been, what, three chapters now? Trying to get that message across that Jesus is a greater high priest and what all that means. Something important for us to consider ourselves Is if this is all true, and it is, if we have this unrestricted access to God, and we don't just get to come in his presence once a year, but we have 24-7 access, are we taking advantage of that access as we ought? That's transitioning to the next point about worship in the new covenant. In the new covenant, we aren't coming in God and worship to be cleansed of our sin. We're coming to God and worship because we've already been cleansed of our sin. That's why we can come. I want you to think about this for a second. Think back on what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember this? He's talking with her, telling her how he's the source of living water. She's like, that sounds good. I'm into that. Sounds convenient. I wouldn't have to come here to draw water anymore. And then the rubber meets the road. Jesus says, call your husband here. She says, I don't have a husband. She says, you're right. You don't. You've had five already, and the one you have now isn't your husband. She changes the subject real quick. Don't we do that? When we're confronted with our sin, don't we change the subject? She says, "Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. You think?" And then she, you know, starts talking about we worship on this mountain or that mountain. Essentially, the question she's asking is, "Where is God located? Where is He really? Where can I come to Him? Where is His presence?" What does Jesus say? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So look, watch this. They couldn't then. We can now. It's been several weeks ago already, but when we are in chapter four, Hebrews four sixteen, says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that mercy seat, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. You see the difference? You see the difference there? Not only could the high priest not enter in as often as you can, but because of Jesus, He couldn't enter in with the confidence you have either. What's that like? What's that like? Y'all tell me what it's like. What's it feel like? Tell me what it's like to be a Christian. How good is it? You have more access to God. A better access. A more comfortable access. You come comfortably. You come reverently but you come comfortably before Almighty God as a son or a daughter would. Because if you're in Christ, you are. You are a son or a daughter with all of the privileges and benefits that an heir has. The best high priest didn't have that on his best day. That should make us want to exercise our rights and privileges, shouldn't it? We have what they longed for. They had all kinds of obstacles keeping them from getting to God and they could only ever get so far anyway. We get to go all the way. Every day. All the way every day. Put that on a bumper sticker. Verse 8. Something interesting here. I don't want to take up too much time on this. But he says, the way to the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. And then in verse 9 he says, which is symbolic for the present age. So, Important note here, when you're reading the Bible and seeing them talk about the present age passing away, you're not in the present age. I mean, you are. We're obviously living in the time that we're in. We're in the present. But when they're talking about the present age, you're not living in the present age they're talking about. The present age they're talking about is related to the temple. That had to pass away. And it did. It hadn't happened at the time this was written. The temple was still standing. The sacrifices were still being made. The priests were running themselves ragged like they always did. It was still happening, but not for long. The temple was eventually destroyed in 70 A.D. And that present age passed away. That old way, that old access, that old covenant passed away. So that old section in verse 8 was going to go away. It wasn't going to be, uh, it wasn't just going to be an ineffective way of coming to God. It wasn't going to exist anymore. Let's look at the rest of verse 9 to see what that means. He says, according to this arrangement, according to this arrangement, that current system of worship that was still standing but would soon pass away, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Well, what, what, what do they do then? But deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the time of what? Reformation. So that old arrangement couldn't perfect the conscience. And that's a problem because God's spirit and He's seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. What do we need to do that? A clean conscience to be holy. If the old arrangement couldn't do it, and only Christ can and already has, what do we need the old arrangement for? We don't. That's the point that he's making. All of that was only imposed until the time of Reformation, he says. And that happened with Christ, and the temple worship that was going on there was going to be cut off completely and not even be an option anymore come 70 AD, that era, that epoch, that chapter of history would close entirely. There's a new way to approach God and worship him and it's the only way. It's the way all the other ways pointed to. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, he says. You must be born again, right? John 3, 3, you must be born again. Not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. That's how you're cleansed from sin. Not, in contrast, right, by food restrictions and washings. That doesn't get you there. And because you're cleansed from sin, because Jesus' atonement perfects the conscience, you are welcomed into God's presence to offer your worship to Him. No need for an earthly tent. No need for an earthly priest. We have access because we have Jesus. Let's talk about the conscience thing for just a minute. Because I know that you know you're not sure you do have a clean conscience. I know that you know you've done stuff you're not proud of. Stuff you hope nobody ever finds out about. Stuff that makes you feel guilty, makes you feel ashamed. You can try to forget. And you've probably tried. How's that working out for you? You can try to forget. You can try to numb yourself to it. You can try to cure yourself of it. You can try to wash it off through religious rites and rituals, but none of that's going to get rid of it. Nothing takes away the guilt. Jesus did. He bore the shame. You hear me, Christian? Because we can memorize verses and they they never get from here to here. We can hear the old familiar story and just move on without really Understanding and living and what that means for us. Jesus bore the shame. You have to get this. When he died for your sins on the cross, it wasn't just your sin that died. Your shame died with it. He took your shame and he exchanged your shame for his honor. You see that? He didn't just take your shame and leave you empty-handed. No, he gave you something so much better. His holiness, his righteousness, his honor. I know you still sin and feel guilty when you do. Well, it'd be appropriate to confess that to God. You know, bring that into the light. Pray to him that he will work it out in you. He promises he will. That's why he's given you a helper. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. But you need to understand the reason you can bring it to God in the first place and not hide it from Him anymore is because you have a clean conscience before God. Jesus' sacrifice cleanses the guilty conscience. God's wrath truly and completely has been, past tense, satisfied. So wrapping this all up here, if you're them, okay? If you're these first century Christians that the author's talking to are still thinking there might be some merit in in the old covenant system. But you're sitting here, you're hearing them out, you're thinking, okay, if that's true, if all that system of worship in the tent and the temple was about God's wrath due for our sin, how he was holy and we're not, how we're separated from God because of our sin and all the animal sacrifices, all the blood that was shed to cleanse us from our sin was so that we could approach God but we never really could approach God. Even with all that, we still couldn't approach God. Only the higher priest could, and only once a year, and he, only to do the same thing over again that he'd always had to do. That means, well, that means none of it worked. None of it actually got us into God's presence. None of it actually cleansed us spiritually. None of it actually had the power to perfect my conscience so I could even begin to worship God the way he says he desires to be worshipped. So why would we keep doing it? You wouldn't. It's what the author keeps saying. Jesus inaugurated a new covenant in his own blood that you're now in. That's what he's telling them. That's what I'm telling you this morning, reminding us of. You exist in a time when the thing we required to remove our sins from us so that we could come to God has already come. There was a time when the message was access denied. When you were lost in your sin, cut off from God, there was nothing you could do to make it right. There was nothing you could do to get clean. But God gave you his son and his blood was applied to you so that you would be forgiven of your sin. Freed from sin, freed from the guilt of sin so that you could come before God with a clean conscience and worship him. The message is now access granted. I'm going to say something now you can take one of two ways. You can let it convict you and take no action, which will lead you into guilt and despair. Or you can let it convict you and take action, which will lead you into a more intimate relationship with Christ than you have ever experienced. Their problem in the Old Testament was they wanted to get to God and couldn't. Our problem today is we can get to God and don't. The only limitations on your relationship and intimacy with him are the ones you set. He's wide open. I mean, he's made that pretty clear in the New Covenant, has he not? He's wide open. He welcomes you in the name of Jesus. Don't let indifference laziness or busyness keep you from him. There were stronger barriers than all of that, and he's torn them all down. Don't let your guilt and shame keep you from feeling worthy of coming to him. That's not a good reason. You are worthy. You are worthy of coming to him because you are welcomed into his presence in the name of Jesus, not on your own merit, not on your own merit, Not because of how well you did yesterday. Not because you passed the test. But through the blood of the Lamb that purifies the conscience. That's the take-home nugget this morning, okay? A blood atonement that purifies the conscience. A cleansing that doesn't just clean the outside, it cleans the inside. Talk about that in your community groups today. Let me just close with these reassuring words Jesus himself spoke when he came in the flesh that bear witness to this access that we now have. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a Savior. Holy, unapproachable God. Too much for us to comprehend. Too holy for us to even think right thoughts about, much less approach. To petition. To ask that He would have any care in the world for us, but He does. And in His Son, we are welcome. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How mighty, Lord, are your deeds. From eternity past, Father, you chose to set your love on poor sinners like us. And from across the great divide that stood between us, because of our unrighteousness, because of our unholiness, because of our rebellion against you, you sent your Son to die in our place. And now we have access to you and life eternal with you. I pray, Lord, that your people, particularly those of us here this morning at King's Church, would lay hold to that truth, that we would believe it and act on it. Lord, let your grace and mercy towards us be felt and move us all this week to a deeper longing for you and for your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.